Please be advised that the content in the Grave Tales podcast series is suitable for adults only. You're with Chris Adams and Helen Gods for the Grave Tales, the series podcast. Today, from the Grave Tales true crime book, The Murderous Clark Brothers. In the era of bushrangers, some became folk heroes, others were opportunistic thieves, but the Clark brothers were murderous thugs. It would take a royal commission to stop them, and it did. In June 1867, they met their end. So Christopher? Yes, Helen? Bad guys, or just misunderstood? Oh no, these guys were as bad as it gets. Bushrangers in Australia, in the time we're talking now, the early 1800s, they sort of fell into two categories. There were those who took admirers, if you like, Mm. became folk heroes, became popular, because I think they were seen as resistance against the authorities, which so many of the people who came to Australia learned to hate fairly quickly. So rebellious and anti-authority. Was one category. The other category was that they were simply trying to, you know, make a living Mm. out of robbing people on the roads. They were just thieves. And then you got a crowd like the Clark Brothers from Braidwood. Well, it's interesting you should say that because it's become very trendy to have, you know, history now that's convict or bushranger. But I don't know about the bushranger. I think it's trendy to have convict history because most of those people came Mm. over because they, you know, stole a loaf of bread to survive on or, Mm. you know, robbed a handkerchief to sell it. But the bushrangers were different. You know, they were, some of them, cold, hard killers. And the Clark brothers uh, fit into that category. I mean, you know, you have names like uh, Captain Starlight, Martin Cash from Tasmania and the Kellys, all well known, not so much so with the Clarks. Mm. They lived in a place called Braidwood or near Braidwood, which is in that area between, if you took a line between Canberra and the coast, in that area around there is where they plied their trade, if you like. An example of the sort of thing that the Clarks were capable of was uh, the night that they rode into a little town called Nerigunya, which lies in the southeast of that state, that area that we've been talking about. It was said that Constable Miles O'Grady was sick the evening that Clarks rode into town and struck up Wallace's pub and Pollock's store. They stole 300 ounces of gold from Pollock's, not to mention a wad of cash. At the pub, there were 40 or so people bailed up by the outlaws. They were in the bar. Others came to see what the fuss was all about. Amongst those was the local butcher, Mr Drew, who immediately had a revolver pushed into his face by a bloke called William Fletcher, who told him to fork out. In the meantime, Drew had been edging towards a side door through which he tossed a wad of about 40 pounds, money that is. Jeez, they're all loaded, all carrying a bit of money and cash and gold. End of trading day, so they're in the pub having a quiet one on the way home when the clerks strike. Mm. The commotion that was emanating from the pub stirred Miles O'Grady, he's one of the local coppers. So he dragged some clothes on, took his pistol, and in the half-dark went to see what was going on. He took with him a constable by the name of Smythe. They arrived just as a bloke called Clark, the leader of this band of thieves, called for a light so that they could see what Drew the Butcher had thrown out the door. Mm. Uh, before that could be done, Constable O'Grady opened fire and brought down William Fletcher, the bush ranger. He died an hour later. Given all that activity, the bush rangers poured out into the street and began shooting at O'Grady and Constable Smythe as they took off. Constable O'Grady was hit by a round which mortally wounded him. He was left uh, to die in the street uh, as the mob of bush rangers uh, galloped out of town. Uh, He lingered for almost three hours before he passed away that night. This was the work of the Clark Gang. 
And that constable who was shot and died, Constable Miles O'Grady, was 25. Yep. Terrible. Yeah, it is. But they had to try and fight back against the outlaws if they had a half a chance to do so. What was going on there, even though Constable O'Grady was unwell, mm. he managed to get down and get into the fight, but it cost him his life. Mm. The reason that these guys were in this area was that they were heading back to Braidwood, their hometown, from the races at Bega. Now, one of the things that they used to do, they would pinch one of the racehorses, the well-bred um, Winning racehorses. And uh, then they would amazingly find it. Oh. Got lost. <laughs> but they amazingly found it, took it back to its owner for the reward. Or, if they didn't do that, there were pocketfuls of winnings to be taken from punters at gunpoint, also on their way home from the races. The previous couple of days before the Neringunda raid, the gang had been hanging around uh, the roadside outside the town, relieving the passerbys of their cash and valuables. I love the tune, relieving them. Yeah. Let me do a favour. <laughs> what have you got there? Oh, look, hand that over. Off you go. You're welcome. This was their way of filling in time. Imagine living in a town where you had yeah. these guys hanging around out at the end of the main street waiting for you yeah. to leave. Yeah. so they could relieve you of whatever you had. And what a day's work. I mean, everyone else is out toiling, but uh, their day's work is to hang them out. There was one bloke who wasn't going to be robbed this way. His name was John Emmett, and he tried to ride away when the clerks approached him. They opened fire, wounding Emmett and killing his horse. Mm. They relieved him, again, of about 100 pounds and a parcel of gold dust mm. and left him to bleed to death on the road. Uh, Fortunately, even without his trusty steed, Emmett managed to survive by crawling to a homestead uh, where he found help. So he was one who got away. Poor horse. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So they weren't a bit like Ned Kelly, this gang that we always understood was persecuted by the police because they were Irish. Well, they were from Irish stock, though. They were, yes. uh, But I think they really did have some decent criminal roots, didn't they? Uh, Well, the father of the two blokes who led the Clark gang. Two brothers. Yeah. He came to Australia in 1828. And again, he had this feeling of hatred towards authority, hatred towards the police. Mm. And he passed that on to his kids, which was not only the two boys. There was another boy and a couple of girls as well. Mm. He was a cobbler. He could have actually made a reasonable living making shoes if he'd gone the straight and narrow. Yeah, he was. He could have made a good living at making shoes for some time until he got the land that he would be able to buy and work uh, yeah mm. as a free settler but uh, he didn't farm the land he lived on uh, he lived by stealing cattle uh, he passed that particular talent on to his sons apparently <laughs> when the gold rush hit braidwood the clark boys would steal miners horses this is their old trick then mysteriously track them down to claim the reward. Mm. It was apparently a means of making a crust not entirely unknown in Braidwood, Mm. which had been described as an isolated community, little less than a den of thieves, connected either by marriage or misdeeds. There were some connected by both. (laughs) Royalty, you've got the double whammy. Yeah, absolutely. Two of the Clark boys, uncles, brothers of their mother, also rode with the Mm. bush rangers uh, at times, apparently, Mm. rode with the gang. Family that play together. Uh Uh, it was said that uh, that John Clark also passed on to his three sons and two daughters his ideas on the equal distribution of wealth in this isolated community mm. where they grew up without any schooling or religious education. Well, so that's the father's side of the family. How is the mother's side of the family? Well, okay, so consider Mrs. Clark, the mother of Thomas and John, the two really bad guys right. uh, in this outfit. She had been a Connell, and the Connells fitted in well to the criminal community mm. around there. One of her brothers was charged as an accessory to the slaying of a group of police. Mm. Another was doing 10 years in Darlinghurst following his sentence of five years for highway robbery, while his wife was in the female division for receiving stolen goods. <laughs> Good Lord. 
A third brother was shot dead by police, and yet another was sentenced to death for highway robbery and wounding with intent to murder. Wow. Mix the Connells with the Clarks, and it's no wonder Braidwood, which was the only place in New South Wales ever to have a commission appointed to examine the legal and judicial practices in the area and the best ways to suppress crime in that locality. Wow, because really, at the end of the day, they're going to run out of victims in their own neighbourhood soon enough. And while all this was going on, the outlaws literally thumbed their noses at the 40 or so police that were in the area and supposedly on the lookout for them. I say supposedly when you hear some of the things that happened. When the constables were searching in the high ground, the Clark gang would raid businesses in towns and coaches on the roads in the lower parts. Well, there was 40 of them. 40 police trying to catch them. <laughs> At one stage, they were seen drinking in a pub in the centre of the township of Araluan. And to leave the village, they had to ride right past the police building, which they did. Mm unnoticed <laughs> Good. Uh, and on it went uh, the clerks owned the roads and despite the army of police after them the incidence of stick-ups of local folk was a weekly if not a daily occurrence and one paper reported it was as if the outlaws were possessed of a charmed existence mm. that a certain prominent magistrate of the district was superseded a nice way of saying sacked after the commission of inquiry handed down its report and may explain some of the frustration expressed by honest locals. Mm. Oh, there were some honest locals at least. Apparently. Mm. There were a a number of ways that the police tried to handle what was going on with the clerks, none Mm. of them very effective. But there was another attempt by a group of what could almost be called bounty hunters. This was dispatched under the command of a senior Darlinghurst jail warder named John Carroll. He'd been a policeman. Carroll was described as a man of great physical strength undaunted courage, warm caution and intelligence superior to his station. This is like special secret police though, isn't it? It Like it's a little squad they got together to go out and go sort of almost undercover to get them, wasn't it? And it was, and it was, he was told, make it work or don't come looking for any money. So he only got paid if he succeeded? Yeah, the conditions imposed on him were that if he failed, he would receive no recompense for his attempt at halting the criminal Mm. activity. If he succeeded, he'd be bumped up more than several rungs in the public service. Mm. He took three others with him, and they headed for the area where these guys had been operating. Mm. The plan was to throw locals off the scent. Carol and co. would pose as a party of surveyors, and they started to survey a block not far from where John Clark Sr. lived. However, either because of secrecy of their mission, was compromised from someone in Sydney, or perhaps someone recognised one of these, inverted commas, surveyors, they were subjected to a night attack on their camp, mm-hmm. uh, which a number of volleys of shots were fired at them. That was enough for John Carroll. He'd lost his patience, and he proceeded to put a number of the clerks' acquaintances, including two of their sisters, before the magistrate, and they were committed for trial on various offences. Mm-hmm. So then he uh, set out to the home of a suspect, which was about four miles away. Uh, this man's name was Guinea, and they believed his home was frequently visited by the Clark gang. Mm, so uh, they sort of staked it out, basically, did they? Yeah, well, they, well, they headed out there. This is at night. Yeah. They had to pass through some very uh, dense country, heavily wooded, very mm. dark. Other people not that far away heard shooting, yet no one thought it serious enough to call for some sort of immediate investigation of what that might be. Mm. Those who passed by there later came across the bodies of Carol and his three... Offsiders. Oh no, so this is the whole secret party that's gone out and are all dead. All dead. <gasps> Found in the densely wooded copse on the track oh, wow. by Stockman working in the area the next day. 
One of those newspaper reports was that the four special constables were intercepted by Thomas and John Clark and others who were hidden behind the trunks of and in two very large trees and called on the constables to surrender when they walked into the clearing. Carroll's party attempted to draw their revolvers, but before they could, a volley of shots was fired at them. MacDonald and Fegan fell immediately. MacDonald did not move again, but Fegan still had some fight in him. Mm. Uh, when he was surrounded by the murderers, a second shot soon put an end to his suffering. What happened to the other two then? Well, while the rest of the ambushes were getting down from trees, Carol and Kenner managed to find shelter in the nearby hut of a free settler named McNally. They kept the bushrangers at bay for as long as their ammunition lasted. Mm. When it was spent, Thomas Clark took their guns and told Carol to prepare to die. Mm. Carol asked for mercy and to be spared. And Clark asked whether Carol had shown any mercy to his, that is, Clark's sisters and mother. Mm. Clark then told Carol it was time for revenge and shot the special constable through the heart. Wow. While all this was going on, Kenner was watching on helplessly. Clark asked him if he would also ask for mercy, to which Kenner said, not from a villain like you. May God look down upon my poor wife and children. Shoot me if you like. I'm ready to die. Clark said he was sorry he had to shoot Kenner as he was a plucky fellow and without another word, shot him dead. Mm. So this again demonstrates, you know, mm. what the Clarks are like. We only know that story from the newspaper report because none of them were around to give their account. Yeah. For reasons we don't understand, the police buried the men close to where they were murdered with bark from the trees used to make coffins. The government later paid to have them disinterred and given a proper burial. That was held at Braidwood Cemetery where the men still rest today. Well, I can imagine that only inflamed matters. What happened now? Yeah, I think what's clear by now is that the authorities in Sydney were sick and tired of the Clarks and simply wanted them out of the way. In March of 1867, Colonial Secretary Henry Parks, well-known name, Mm. sent a strong force of experienced police to Braidwood. It was headed by Senior Constable William Wright. Among them was the noted black tracker Sir Watkin, who on the 27th of April led the police to Clark's shack at Fairfield, about 20 miles away. The police set up an ambush aimed at trapping the bushrangers in a crossfire when they came out in the morning for their horses. But the Clark spotted the police and a shootout began. Oh my God, it's like amateur hour. Seriously, can we not even set up a stakeout? <laughs> what the hell? In the early stages of that firefight, uh, John Clark was wounded in the shoulder mm-hmm. and Sir Watkin was slightly wounded. Before long, more police arrived at the Clark's hut and realising they were helplessly outnumbered, Thomas and Joan Clark surrendered. Wow, so no uncles present and support crew then? No. They've got them. After they had come out of the hut in what might have seemed a most peculiar act, one of the brothers shook hands with the police who captured them. This apparently was after a verbal exchange between Sir Watkin and Thomas Clark, in which the tracker accused Clark of shooting him in a cowardly way from a window in the hut. Thomas told him that he'd merely shot Sir Watkins in self-defence as he wanted to take Clark's life. At that point, Sir Watkins said he forgave Clark and mm. the two men shook hands. How bizarre. Yeah, quite. Mm. Quite strange stuff. So, so the men go to trial. Well, yes. First of all, they had to get them back to Sydney. And when it was known that the Clarks had been caught, there was great excitement in Sydney. Crowds of people assembled at the different wharfs in expectation that the landing would be affected at one of them. But in order to avoid the mob, the police authorities sent out an official boat 
and intercepted the steamer as she was coming up the harbour. They received the prisoners and conveyed them to Circular Quay. The clerks were put on trial for wounding with intent to kill a constable, William Walsh, and black tracker Sir Watkin, a hanging offence. Mm. The jury took just 67 minutes to come to the conclusion that the clerks were guilty of the wounding with intent to kill charges. Some reports say the judge apologised for taking so long to reach the verdict. Before passing sentence, he pointed out that the clerks were to be hanged not as retribution, but because their deaths were necessary for the peace, good order, safety and welfare of society. Their fate was to serve as a warning to others. It's a distressing shot, though. I know what they did. But when you see those two young men, because they were only young men in their 20s, sitting there together, brothers, tall, strapping guys, chained up, waiting to go to execution, you just think, oh, isn't that heartbreaking that that was their lives, that was their outcome. And it actually had an effect on the community, but tell us about the execution first. Well, the execution were on dual gallows, if you like, at Darlinghurst Jail, side by side. They died together probably almost at the same instant together terrible terrible stuff i mean hanging execution of any sort is a terrible thing to go through for people and their families but that's what happened the authorities had simply had enough so what became of their bodies the remains were given to their mother and sisters and buried in rookwood cemetery in graves that are now not possible to identify Mm. The New South Wales government radically upgraded its attitude to education in the bush, keen not to allow children to grow up in isolated communities without any formal education or religious study. So in other words, their life and their death had some good impact despite all the bad they did. Absolutely. The Mm. government opened many new schools, trained many more teachers. Unfortunately, that's not what the clerks will be remembered for. Which is a good thing. Yeah. The very first death we mentioned was of Mounted Constable Miles O'Grady. Where can you pay your respects to Miles? You can pay your respects to Mounted Constable as he was, Miles O'Grady, at Grave 257 in Maruya Cemetery. You can also visit a monument erected to his honour in Nerigunda in New South Wales. The feelings of a lot of people were summed up in the words from a magazine called Bell's Life in Sydney and Sporting Chronicle. So terminated the career of those misguided youths Men in the prime of life, living dishonourably, dying dishonoured, living hated and feared, dying uncared for and unwept, living the lives of beasts of prey and dying the deaths of dogs. If you have enjoyed today's episode of Grave Tales, please rate, review and subscribe by pressing the follow us button. You've been listening to a story from Grave Tales, the series, available on paperback, ebook, and select titles on audiobook, music by Kai Engels. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram or on our website and check out our YouTube channel as well.